0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode 13, and we are recording on the last day of September in 2017. Can you believe it? That we're into October?
1: That's insane. It, it is. At least the weather's finally breaking a little, though. <laughs> Summer has stuck around pretty aggressively here in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, it has not felt like fall. The past the past month in September. So anyway, um, welcome to the podcast. Remember us? We used (laughs) to do a podcast about six months ago. Um, And we are back and we are excited to be back. And it's it's really thanks to all the lovely people who sent in lovely comments about how they enjoyed the podcast and they missed us and they hope we were coming back. So thank you so much for all the the great fee- feedback. Um, speaking for myself, flattery always works. That is always <laughs> the way to go. Um, so keep those comments coming. And also, if you want to do us a really big favor and help keep the podcast going, uh, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, so hopefully we can get some more listeners. And if we get more listeners, maybe maybe someday we'll get a sponsor. That you know, stranger things have happened. And uh, that way, this can be something more than a fun thing that the two of us like to do when the rest of our lives aren't crazy.
1: Yes, for sure. It definitely is one of those things that ends up at the bottom of the to-do list because we're, we're just doing it because it's fun.
0: Because it's fun, because we have a good time. So we thought, um, since we just came back into the swing of things, that we would kind of do a homeschool check-in, with each of us now that we're in a brand new homeschool school year and see how things are going. How are things going over in your homeschool, Amy?
1: Well, it's been an exciting fall because, you know, my husband started a school this year, you know, because you're teaching there. I say that like, (laughs) oh.
0: (laughs) I do happen to know.
1: (laughs) But uh, so, and I am at the school a lot. So it's been a big adjustment. I've always worked and homeschooled, but I've never worked outside of the house and homeschooled and uh-huh. I have to say it's been a it's been a really big adjustment kind of figuring out the new balance finding time to make learning happen I mean sometimes I get home at the end of the day and I find myself just saying maybe we'll just do some homeschool tomorrow right so, well
0: because your kids are not actually attending no, your homeschool
1: no no my little um, independent-minded children are like no your school <laughs> is awesome but we're not going to go there <laughs> good for you but no but i i do i have a 10th grader this year can you believe it a 10th grader i i cannot and a fourth grader and which is awesome the one thing that we've been doing that i'm really excited about doing i think i even talked about it a little on the blog is this is a world history year for us and i was pretty passionate about putting together a study plan um it's I um on all my folders and things I've written not white men history. <laughs> so yeah. we're studying the Native Americans and <laughs> in Asia and Africa and South America. Wow, women. you were
0: able to find some history that wasn't about white men? That's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: You know what? It required a lot of front-end research. I'm not sure that with everything else I have going on this year, it was the best use of my time over the last year to put together, maybe? Oh,
0: it had to be satisfying,
1: though. But now that it's all together, it is very satisfying. And I personally am really enjoying it. I, I feel like we've done a lot of white men history, so it's nice to do something yeah. different.
0: Well, and just to take a very debler- deliberate per- perspective
1: shift not I feel like I should hashtag not all white men but
0: (laughs) I know I know I I I love white men I've said that before on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) just to be clear
1: so so that's what I'm that's mostly what we're doing right now we're gonna work in other things around it as I figure out my schedule a little better which I'm hoping will happen soon it's it's definitely a big balancing act right now what about you though you've got kids everywhere
0: I've got kids everywhere. So if we start with oldest, let me see. My oldest is a sophomore in college. Um, So we don't see him. I assume he's fine. And um, (laughs) uh, my 16-year-old daughter is a junior at our local public high school, which if for anybody who hasn't encountered high school recently, um, man, junior year is tough. Junior year is the new senior year. Uh, Between college applications, having to go out so early in your senior year For so many of these kids, their junior year ends up being their hardest academically.
1: Right. Well, that's when you take most of your AP classes, too.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, she's got three AP courses this year. Um, And yeah, and she's doing well, but it's, but not just with her, but kind of with everybody else, much, much more than back in the dark ages, decades ago, when I was in school, junior year is, is, uh, is tough. So she's doing that. Um, My 14-year-old daughter made the transition this year from homeschool to high school. She's she's a freshman at the same high school that my 16-year-old attends. And hey, seems to be going pretty
1: well. That's (laughs) awesome because she was the one who was the most inclined to like traditional homeschooling, right? She was the one for whom homeschooling seemed the best, best fit when she was younger.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, My two older ones um, fit pretty well into the academic environment. You know, they're the round peg for the round hole. So um, although just the, there's so many new stuff, so much new stuff that it's still a tough, I wasn't so much worried, you know, they're going to get along with their teachers and they're going to want to get good grades and stuff. But um, with my second daughter, I wasn't entirely sure how that would go. But she's, she's doing great and she has friends and she, grades are good and she hasn't flat out refused to go, so. <laughs> and yeah. if she did, I'd, I'd say you could stay home. You know, that's always been our plan B. But, um, but yeah, I think she's enjo- every time she says, "Oh, I don't want to go to school tomorrow," I'm like, "Well, you could stay home with me." And then she's like, "Oh," and she goes off and she does her homework <laughs> or whatever. So, so she seems to be okay with that plan. So I've only got one. I've only got my 12 year old, who is a seventh grader this year, and. um he's the only kid I have at home. I've never only had one kid in homeschool because even when it was just the oldest in school, I had babies and toddlers running around. Right. So it's a very weird feeling. And we haven't done much of anything at home for homeschool because he is attending. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but your husband started a school. <laughs> I
1: heard something about it. And
0: um, actually, it's a homeschool hybrid school. Now, when I tell people that they say, what what does that mean? And I kind of like babble for a minute or two. What would you say is the definition of the hybrid? What does the hybrid bring into it?
1: Well, so the idea, right, is that as kids get older, it's harder for parents to teach them every single subject. In elementary school, the science you need to teach, you kind of already know, or you can brush up on pretty easily. But as you move into middle school, and especially high school, it's nice to have someone who has expertise in those areas. So a hybrid high school is like a cross between homeschooling and regular high school. You have different teachers who teach different subjects that they have expertise in. And you meet fewer than five days a week. So you have days that you're learning at right. home and days that you're learning at school. And I like to think that it's the best parts of traditional school and the best parts of homeschooling kind of at a big mashup. But that could mm-hmm. be because I'm biased and I think my husband's really smart and I like his plan. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I really love the fact that so the high school um, is meeting two days a week, and I just love that there's, I love that there's just two days. I mean, I love that there's all this other time in the week for kids to do, you know, whether it's sports or drama or music or reading or doing more homeschool at home or doing more family stuff, that that time that, that I have gotten so used to with a homeschool lifestyle is still available.
1: Yeah. Our kids are, I mean, they're amazing. There are some of them who play soccer, some who do really ambitious art projects, people who spend their one day a week volunteering. It's, it's mm-hmm. very cool. And they're, they don't seem, so far, they don't seem to fall into the trap of being overwhelmed by school. School seems to be a productive and happy piece of their lives and not an overwhelming to-do list of their lives.
0: Well that's awesome. That's awesome. So the so the middle school part of it, which um, so my middle schooler is attending and I'm also teaching that. So that's Mondays and they have six classes on Mondays. And um, I'm having such a great time. I'm teaching uh, critical thinking, middle school lit, and Georgia history. And um, I'm really, I mean the critical thinking is uh, so much fun. That's the one I have the most experience with. Uh, using a secular curriculum, and the kids are having great fun. Anyway, it's it's great fun teaching the classes. It it's is great different. fun sitting
1: outside the room and listening to everyone <laughs> inside the class laughing, too. Just <laughs> FYI.
0: We have an enthusiastic group of kids. They're all excited to be there and excited, I think, not to be home by themselves. I know my son is. Maybe I should just speak for my son. So, um, So we have that one day a week, and then he does homework, you know, he does his homework for the rest of the week and kind of does his own thing. And I think we we are going to add in some additional home homeschooling for some of the things that we don't, you know, that we don't cover in the, in the at the school class. Uh, but I haven't gotten around to it yet because I'm still getting my life organized and and getting used to grading papers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we are doing uh, ACT practice. We're, we, I bought like the most recent giant ACT book because, well, for two reasons. My junior this year will be taking the SAT and the ACT. So I bought the newest, the latest, and greatest editions. And um, then my seventh grader does it for the two reasons the Duke TIP talent search, um, which his siblings have done, and they've really loved the TIP program. And also because I think it's not a bad thing. People are always, I've said this before on the podcast, but people are always stressed about how do we prepare for these big, massively important standardized tests. And I think the best way to prepare is to take them and see what you, you think. And you can do that starting in middle school. Um, and we go through the book, not so much to help him get a better score, but more that he'll be prepared for what kind of questions are on there. Because of course. Test
1: questions are like a whole different world. They're not mm -hmm. the way they, that they're not like a way of looking at things that a lot of homeschoolers really delve into.
0: That's right. And of course, he's a seventh grader. There's going to be, you know, a large, a very large percentage of the math on there, for example, he's not going to have encountered. So I think that can be surprising and upsetting if you're taking the test for the first time. You're like, wait, I don't have, I don't even understand the vocabulary here. So they do, they, what I've had them do is go a couple of times through practice tests and just get comfortable with, okay, yeah, it's got cosine in it. I'm just going to skip that because we haven't done it yet. So that when they get the test itself, it it feels familiar. Um, So we are doing that and taking the test in December. And then we'll do, we do our regular standardized testing around February usual with ITBS Um, but other than that it feels it feels very much like I've hit a major transition point right I've got one kid at home that kid is old enough to be learning independently most of the time so now what do I do (laughs) <laughs> aside from teaching episodes of school. the Good Place. Watch episodes of The Good Place. Yes. Well, not housework. That's, that's right. one thing we've established, not doing housework.
1: Speaking um, of the housework, Suzanne, I literally had to dust off my headset that I used to record the podcast. It was literally dusty. I mean, which, which probably says it's been a while since we did the podcast, but also is a very sad thing about the state of my office
0: yeah we have headphone headphone musical chairs like i bought a headphone i bought a set of headphones that i decided i didn't want so my son uses them because the microphone on his headphones died i'm using my daughter's headphones because i like them i mean it's just it's like okay does anybody have any idea (laughs) we need to label them all where the where headphone a got to um yeah so so i'm trying to figure out Uh, So I feel like I'm transitioning. I'm making that slow transition out of homeschooling and also at the same time out of being a a full time stay at home mom because my kids are are well on the road to high school graduation and college, if not already there. And yeah, that's a I've, I've been worried about this since I was like home with my first child And he was a teeny tiny baby and the idea of him growing, if I did my job right, that he was going to grow up and leave, I would burst into tears. There's a lot of hormones involved, but still. And there was like an Oprah episode one day (laughs) and she had women who had honestly lost their minds when their kids, when their kids went off to college. Like they were, like you're watching these women and you're like, oh, they are not well. And... And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's
1: who I'm going to be.
0: So I have tried really hard to keep this in mind. (laughs) And now that I'm here, it's...
1: Don't go insane.
0: Don't go insane. Well, they were really, really messed up, you know. And I can, I mean, I I totally identify with that because this has been my number one priority for so long. And, um, yeah, so now I just got to figure out what to do, you know, job-wise and and I love working at the school and hopefully that's going to be a long-term thing and what to do with all my curriculum which I'm just bringing over to the school
1: <laughs> we have so, a big curriculum library which is kind of kind of a cool thing I'm very excited about it I wish there had been something like that around when I was shopping for a curriculum where I could actually go and look at the resources the actual books and not just the sample pages
0: I'm really excited about um, someday when we get, when we have our act together about sitting down and getting it all organized and and making sure that people know it's there because it really is my it's going to be I mean, I was like Amy, do you sure you guys want this because it's preschool <laughs> and on? I don't know that your high schoolers will lean a lot of you know Saxon three math textbooks. But
1: well, I hope that ultimately it can be a real community resource yeah. because I mean that is the. For me, that's always been the great thing about homeschooling is all the other mm-hmm. people who know stuff that I don't. And you never stop meeting them. You never stop meeting people who know stuff that you don't, who have Absolutely. resources that you don't. So I love and getting I'm, to I'm, contribute a tiny piece of that.
0: I'm a curriculum junkie, so I'll have five different choices for you. <laughs> <That's>,
1: <laughs> some of them never even
0: been opened. Um, <laughs> I'm so proud. So, uh, So yeah, and other than that, I kind of sat down the other day and I was like, You know wow i can now all those things that i was gonna do as part of homeschooling that we never got around to um like all those languages we were gonna work on and you know get into art history and music appreciation i'm like well i can just do those by myself
1: you can come get a history degree with me we could be we could be history degree buddies
0: that is that sounds awesome (laughs) but i think you're a little crazy I, th- I feel like I have expressed this before that this is not coming as a surprise to you.
1: I know, but I just—it's so interesting. How can you not want to learn interesting things forever and have people give you grades about them? I know I don't even believe in grades for my own kids, but for me, I am like a person who needs to get a regular report card. Do, do you ever feel that way? Like life would be so much better if someone would mail you something saying, "Oh, here's how here's how you did in parenting this month. Here's oh, how you did with your outside reading." <laughs>
0: Absolutely, 100%. I mean, when I was heading off to college, my dad was like, we were in Florida, and my dad's like, hey, new college is, you know, down there, and they don't even give grades. And I'm like, why would you even say that to me? You know that <laughs> grades are my thing. Grades are what I'm good at. Why would you insult me? But, which is, this is not, this is not a knock on new college at all. This is just an expression of how I need my grades, or else I don't function. <laughs> yes, my
1: my best friend, you know, Shelly, went to new college. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, She's the only person I know who could handle going to a school with no grades. I would just, I I feel like I really like having some outside data tell me how I'm doing. So I do try to give that to my children, some kind of lots of feedback, even if it's not in the form of A, B, C, D.
0: Right, right. But so, but now you're so crazy that you have actually applied to go back to graduate school.
1: I know. I, I know. and. We'll see. Maybe no one would even want to take me. Maybe (laughs) I would realize that I'm crazy and decide not to go. Or maybe in a few years, you'll be reading my awesome dissertation on women in the U.S. between 1890 and 1925.
0: I will read that awesome (laughs) dissertation. But I actually, I find that very inspirational. And I mean, because sometimes I look at what I'm doing in my outside reading and it feels like a really indulgent hobby you know like like it's it's something that I'm doing that's self-indulgent that doesn't really get me anywhere but when I look at I've you know so I've been on this if you read Library Chicken
1: which um, you should one of my favorite (laughs) things to read every week
0: I have been on a Louisa May Alcott kick because um, I uh, were reading Little Women for Middle School Lit so because of that I have gone to all the all the concordians, right? I've been reading about Emerson and Thoreau and our good friend Bronson and and all of them um I'm revisiting these people that I had kind of dismissed probably when I read about them briefly in American lit as as a high school student and
1: and discovering and cool new people like the Peabody's, right? Oh,
0: Elizabeth Peabody is the best and Margaret Fuller and and yeah, there's so many awesome Frances Wright, also known as Fanny Wright, who started her own uh, utopian community. I couldn't find a biography of her. Amy, you need to get your doctorates just so you can write <gasps> if you do that, will you will you write biographies of the people I give you I tell you to? Oh. Will maybe. you write me biographies? <gasps> I would love that so much. Okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. But anyway, my point was that I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, now I'm kind of doing my own little American Lit course, right? And it's self, you know, it's self taught and it's self directed, but but if I look at it in terms of learning, you know, I feel a little bit better about it. And then I also feel you know, excited about, hey, I can get on Duolingo, and I can use the Cambridge Latin books that I have and actually teach myself Latin, and um, maybe I'll finally crochet that afghan. So
1: <laughs> I, I always am impressed by your reading list. I think that there are almost always like three or four little mini unit studies going on. Remember when you read all when you got obsessed with Hamilton and then you read every single book about the American revolution and then all the events that might possibly have led up to the American revolution and then all the (laughs) aftermath of the American revolution and then biographies of everyone who was even like the slightest bit (laughs) tangentially connected. Okay.
0: So I went to the library the other day for something else entirely and I found a section of books that I hadn't read yet. So I may have some more books on the American (sighs) revolution on my stack right now. But, but no, well that's how my reading goes, right? I get interested in something, and then I read everything I can find about it, and then there comes to a point where I'm sick of it, and I cannot read another book, and then I just jump wildly to another topic. Um, but if I think about it, it's not very organized. But if I think, if I if I kind of organize it in hindsight, if I kind of think about it as a self-taught, self-directed, you know, history course, then it feels less self-indulgent than hey, I have fifty books out from the library, and I don't really need to talk to my children because. <laughs> They're all due back. And what am I going to do? Well, just Um, say you're being
1: Heideggerian. So it doesn't make sense until it's over.
0: I will say that. And I will also say that one of the things on my list right now is that I need to do a history of philosophy and all these great thinkers who I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reading a, a wonderful biography of Emerson. And I'm actually, he has a lot to say about what we're talking about right now, about lifelong learning and um that is really speaking to me in a way that it did not when I was younger and it's a great biography and I only understand about 50 percent of it because um, it's a biography of his thoughts in terms of like the author of the biography went and tried to read everything that Emerson was reading so he can trace kind of the development of Emerson's thoughts.
1: I kind of love that.
0: Oh, it's great, but I am so uneducated. I don't know, you know, I don't know much about the Scottish Common Sense Movement or. <laughs> well,
1: in all fairness, you might be an uneducated nineteenth-century man, but you're a pretty well-educated twenty-first-century well, yes. woman.
0: <laughs> yes, I will a hundred percent. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of dead white men in my my reading right now, but also some great women, and I need some people. I have a list of people that you need to write biographies of because okay. I haven't been able to find.
1: Please file the list with the office and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Gee. I I thought that sounded very professional. It
0: did. Yeah, it did sound very professional, but you don't understand. I need to know more now. Okay. So what are we, what, do you have any time to do anything else aside from, I don't know, teaching other kids and teaching your kids and uh, writing magazines and applying for graduate
1: programs um, I I'm excited that the good place is back
0: I am so excited that the good place is back we we I think I think I know we talked about it like on every episode of the podcast I don't think we talk about it enough
1: it's so it is... good you guys if you are not watching it you should absolutely be watching it it's the um, do you think it's fair to say? I think it's the best show on television.
0: Oh, it's my—it's by far my favorite show on television right now. And a whole family sits around and watches it, and we have no idea what it's doing. Because okay, so so there's a good place and the bad place after you die, and I don't really want to say anything. Go back and watch the first season. You have to watch. You can't just dive in. You have to watch it in order. But it's, it's really short. Sure. It won't take. You it's long. yeah. It is short. It's it's more like a like a Netflix series or something than like the episodic kind of sitcom-y kind of stuff. And it's great and it's back and it's taking un, un you know unexpected turns like every episode we're like we have no idea what they're going to do next and I can't even talk about the most recent episode because you haven't watched
1: it yet. Yes, I'm sorry again with <laughs> the it's schedule. But very
0: that, upsetting. I love
1: that the cast is Effortlessly diverse. It's a yes. it's a really diverse group of people, but it doesn't feel forced at all.
0: No, it it, it doesn't. And it's it is yes, it's lovely in all the ways. And, and Ted you Danson,
1: you could just go through and watch Ted Danson's face and not even listen to it, and you would still be pretty delighted. It is
0: criminal that he didn't get an Emmy nomination. It's criminal that the show got zero Emmy nominations. But I thought for sure Ted Danson.
1: He's wonderful
0: he is so good in it and all of the actors are so good and they mentioned david hume and the bundle theory of the soul or something last time and i'm excited
1: it's all ethics i mean if you if you know anything about ethics and if you don't know anything about ethics it is a fascinating little peek into this very philosophical world
0: one day we're gonna have a, a philosophy class based on based on The Good Place.
1: That's the dream. Also, one day we're going to have a class of terrible people in history that you didn't even know were terrible, which I'm very excited about. Right.
0: Thomas Jefferson.
1: Bronson Alcott.
0: Yep. There's a whole (laughs) bunch of others.
1: And we're not, you know, we're kind of steering away
0: from like the obvious ones.
1: Right. Not Hitler. He's terrible.
0: We all kind of agree on that. These are, you know, these are people who were not
1: This is what Suzanne and I do when we have spare time. This is why I never get anything done because we just sit around and make up classes that we should (laughs) teach.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome when you get to complain about people.
1: The kids are surprised. You you do stuff other than miss be really late watching the new episode of The Good Place. Like you, you actually have a life.
0: I watch more than one television show. I'm so That's what I'm doing. What are you watching? What's good.
1: Let me live vicariously Um, through you.
0: Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Have you ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Have you ever finished Parks and Rec, first of all?
1: Okay, I haven't finished Parks and Rec, but it's intentional that I haven't finished it because I'm not, I don't want it to be done for me yet.
0: Yeah, but you can go back and watch it over and over. I know, but
1: it's not the same. I don't want to close the loop yet. I'm not ready. And I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Is it just 9-9? Am I saying it yeah. Okay. It's I watched nine, nine, it the, nine, nine, nine. the first episode <laughs> when you were like, you should watch this. It's so good. And Shelly also said I should watch it. It was so good. And I watched the first episode and I liked it, but I just have limited TV time. So I know I'll get to it. Maybe when I, I hear Adam. that.
0: I hear that. <laughs> but, but it's, I, it's very different from like Parks and Rec and all that kind of stuff, but it's done by some of the same people. And what I love about it is um, the ensemble cast and it's uh it's again a very diverse show very diverse casting and doesn't make a big deal about it um it's entertaining it's a lot of fun it's another one it's just back and it's another one that the whole family watches and it's got andre brar in it so if you saw the emmys and if you saw okay so have you seen this is us because that is the soap opera that i watch now
1: i watched part of the first season of this is us and i don't get mad at me I know you love it but it didn't it didn't fill my parenthood hole the way I wanted it to I'm
0: surprised to hear you say it's okay I'm okay if you don't love it I don't I'm not I didn't hate
1: it or anything I wasn't like here are my 572 problems with this show right which which frequently I have 572 problems with the show so right um I just I didn't love it and the actors were good and the stories were touching and I I even loved the way that everything kind of looped together, the different narrative mm-hmm. strands I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was really lovely and i I don't know why I didn't love it. I just didn't
0: well that's okay um it it does for me it does fill that parenthood kind of that family soap you know multiple generation soap opera kind of thing so uh, my six year old daughter and I watch it together, and we're enjoying it but uh the actor who plays um randall on the show uh who's there's three siblings uh they're triplets kind of and um one of them is adopted it's a long story and that's randall and his character is black and he has a white family and um that's part of the show And um, anyway, the character Sterling K. Brown, who plays Randall, won the Emmy. And he had an adorable speech where he he said, first of all, he said he was was shouting out to his cast. He said the best white family, the best white television family ever, including the Drummonds and better than that family that raised Webster. And (laughs) and, um, and he also part of his speech was a was a love letter to Andre Brower. Who um, he had apparently idolized and watched uh, growing up on Homicide. And so now I want Andre Brower to be on This Is Us really, really badly.
1: Don't you kind of want Andre Brower to be on everything? Wouldn't everything. almost everything be better with Andre Brower?
0: Everything. Um, so, yeah, so I watched This Is Us. Uh, we watch a lot of Blackish. Blackish is really big in our house. Uh,
1: Shelly um, loves that. She th- She says it's great. I love the way that they She should be better friends because you have such TV. We overlap. should currently watch TV together. I
0: love the way Blackish touches on really, really sensitive uh, conversations about race that are happening like right now, and it it does it in a way that's funny and heartfelt and I don't feel like they pull any punches. I don't feel like they're they're trying to you know, let's not scare off our audience or anything. <laughs> But I in, in very educational ways too. There are there are times when we're looking at like certain conversations about race and you know, watching Blackish or talking about an episode of Blackish has has educated us in in ways that, that I wouldn't have expected. Um so that's and so that's back and speechless is back, which I love speechless. It's the show about a family and the oldest son can't remember he's in a wheelchair and he can't speak so he has got an interpreter there one of the characters on the show is the person who's because he has one of those boards the light boards where Mm -hmm. he indicates what he wants to say so he has someone who who is his voice so it's about the fan it's a sitcom about this family where the oldest son has this disability and how the rest of the family deals with it and it feels um Minnie Driver plays the mom And she's great. It's funny and it feels very, it was written by a guy who was, his older brother had a similar disability. So he grew up in that kind of family. And the actor who plays the oldest son, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not at the same level, but he is, um, he is in a wheelchair. He can speak. But, uh, so it feels like they're really trying to do a good job of representing different kind of families on tv and it's funny
1: it's so nice to see different kinds of families represented i it, it does not seem like the traditional sitcom family of the past really mm-hmm. fits almost anyone's life anymore mm-hmm. and it's beautiful to see television shows responding to that with different kinds of structures i i love that yeah i was really sad Thanks the real for o'neils watching them all for me <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will. I will watch all the television for you because that's how much I care about you. Um, the Real oneill got canceled, which made me sad. But that was a show about a Catholic family with the, when the middle son uh, came out as gay. And um, Martha...
1: Oh, I forgot her name. Plimpton?
0: Plimpton played the mom.
1: I love her.
0: Well, everybody should go back and watch The Real O'Neill's. It wraps up nicely so you won't feel too... But it's a very, very sweet show... It's very funny. Martha Plimpton is a Catholic mom who 100% loves her son and 100% um, is never going to disavow him or anything like that. But also is 100% Catholic and is so is trying to come to terms with. It's very funny um, and silly and yeah. Anyway, Oh, yeah. So there's good stuff. There's and okay. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna say one more thing. I'm gonna stop. Ghosted. I think that's the name of the show. It starts on Sunday.
1: Wait, I don't know about this because I have okay. because I have no life.
0: It stars Adam Scott. You know Adam Scott. I know Adam He's, Scott. You know, and it stars. Um, Is it Craig. good?
1: Does it star, star good Adam Scott or bad Adam Scott?
0: Too early to tell. Got it. Because it's him and it's Craig Robinson who played Daryl on The Office, the um, warehouse manager. Uh-huh and they are partners and it's some kind of ghost hunting show and yes I will be watching 100% of that
1: report back
0: I will I will I've fingers crossed you never know and it's too early to tell with the teasers but but fingers crossed so yeah mostly a lot of television and maybe I'm gonna try to crochet an afghan
1: that's awesome I didn't even know you knew how to crochet how did I not know that
0: because I haven't, my grandmother, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother made quilts and crocheted afghans. And I'm very emotionally attached to them. And I have always said that that I'd like to crochet an afghan. And I know how to do basic crochet, but I never really learned how to do anything with it. So I'm like, you know, maybe the time has come because that's something I can do while I'm watching all of the television. Yes. Is, uh, is to start, is to actually try to do something with it. That's why and, I started
1: knitting because my husband yeah. was like, maybe it's a little rude when we're watching TV together for you to be reading a book. And I was like, <laughs> oh.
0: I do sit and read a book with the television on although usually the sound on the tv is
1: off but knitting down. and crocheting is more friendly because you can engage right. in the conversation but your hands are still busy
0: now I cross stitch and I cross stitch while I watch tv but I kind of I'm kind of at a point with a cross stitching that I have to do I finished one project and I have to do all this prep for the next project and it's going to be messy and I can't really do anything else while I'm painting so I haven't so I haven't done any cross stitching for a couple yeah. years probably yeah. now at this point but um But yeah, I I have the television on all the time. My family was very proud of the fact that we were not a huge, you know, the television is always on, typical American family, um, which I don't think is a typical American family. But anyway, that's another conversation. Um, But then when I became a stay-at-home mom and I needed, like, Oprah to get through the day, I got in the habit of always having the TV on in the background so I didn't feel so lonely.
1: (laughs) Well, when you talk to yourself all day, right? It's like nice to have someone else talking in the background. It makes you feel a little bit less like you're talking to yourself all day. For me, it's like that. When I'm when I'm home alone, I always have the TV on because I talk to myself.
0: Well, and I've tried to get out of the habit now that my kids are older and I don't need that so much anymore. But I just like to, and so I'll turn it on and I'll turn it on to something I don't care about. I'm on a self-imposed social media and news diet at the moment I know I try my best to stay active and informed but I also try my best to get out of bed every day so so I'm on Two a things short things
1: that are not always compatible right, right now
0: so like right now I am talking to you I have the tv on to golf because I don't care about golf <laughs> I can just have it going in the background um, I also have been having a lot of cooking shows on the background and on in the background because, as my brilliant sister-in-law once said, nothing bad ever happens on a cooking show,
1: especially a British cooking show. Yes, that's really the way to go. Is the, the ultimate safety show is the British baking show.
0: Yeah, well, but I get emotionally—I I care about sometimes about those things. It's easier to put a show on in the background where I don't even care. I don't care. I don't care if your soufflé works out. I just don't. <laughs> I'm not emotionally attached to your souffle. So anyway. Hey, have you been reading any books?
1: Um, well, I read many, many months ago for the podcast. <laughs> we read Ancillary Justice, remember?
0: I was so proud of you because, okay, because, because you are not a lit snob and because you let me pick a science fiction book for the podcast.
1: I want to like science fiction. I'm like there lining up, ready to I like know. it. I wish I did more often. But I actually there were a lot of things about Ancillary Justice that I liked. Should we should we recap the plot before we start talking about it since it's been kind of a little while?
0: Yes, I think we should. I am trying to think so. Okay, so Galactic Empire kind of stage, right? Yes. It's set on it's it's kind of the Galactic Imperial, you know, thing going on. And our lead character, we don't learn a much about her. We're kind of discovering her history as part of the book as we go along. But she has essentially um, been part of the Galactic Empire, has been part of uh, subduing various worlds, has been part of the army, um, been part of their military. And she's kind of investigating some events that have happened in the past and things that are happening with the empire. I don't think that's a very good summary.
1: Well, it's a, it's a tough it's a story <laughs> because there, there are a lot of things that you find out mm-hmm. not too far into the book that are spoilery, but finding right. them out is kind of part of the experience of reading it. Right. I, I think.
0: And another big part of the experience, as you touched on, is, um, okay, so science fiction actually does like to play around with gender a lot. Uh, Ursula Le Guin, you know, going way back. Um, I'm very comfortable with science fiction having uh, a third gender or playing with language so that there are uh, non-gendered pronouns and that kind of stuff. What I have never encountered before ancillary justice is a, a culture where gender doesn't matter. Uh, they, you know, they don't. They don't tend to distinguish things by gender, genders but dif- exist.
1: But genders
0: they- exist, but they don't disting- like you know they don't distinguish, and um, in the language they use female pronouns for everything. Everything is by default female. Yes, and- so
1: it takes you a while to figure out what gender a character is, and and often you don't ever know.
0: That's right. There's several, you know, for some characters, they'll give you a clue or when the character, when the, the lead, the protagonist at the beginning, when she's, uh, she's talking about dealing with other cultures and how challenging it is for when, when she is trying to deal with a culture that does distinguish, right? And she's like trying to remember, oh, okay, they wear different clothes, or they have different facial hair, or she's trying to, she's trying to figure it out because she's just not used to having to make that distinction and people get offended if she if she picks wrong right um so we do learn like in those kind of ways we learn the gender of some of the characters but some of the characters we never learn what gender they are and it was interesting it took a while before I stopped trying to figure it out you know it felt like oh I have to f-, like this is important like I have to figure out the char- the gender of every character in the book and after by the end of the book I was like it doesn't matter you know it doesn't because it doesn't matter to the plot
1: Right. Well, and that's, I mean, that's like a really interesting piece of the point. I There's mm-hmm. a part where she's, uh, she runs into someone that she knew from the past, I guess, uh, a soldier. Yeah. And it's, it's a man, but she, she calls him he, and, and until one point where she says she was, she was a male. It, it's yes. so weird to read something like that. It's very disconcerting yes. because you have been visualizing it really differently. it. It's very cool. I I liked the way that it disrupted the experience of gender.
0: I also liked it, how it, it highlighted as a reader, as a reader, if I have a book, and it doesn't matter what genre the book is, but I have a book and there's a, a man and a woman, um, and they're thrown together under certain circumstances, and they're you know roughly the same age or something. I keep you know like like I, maybe I expect a romance, maybe I don't expect a romance, but I'm always kind of keeping an eye out for it. I have a certain level of expectation about. And it doesn't have to be male female, but usually it is. Um, you throw two characters together, and I'm kind of like, oh, what the author is going to do here? And it com- you can't do that in this book. I mean. You know, you can't do it anyway because a uh, romance doesn't have to be male-female. But with there being no indication of genders and often no indication of people's attractions, yes. right? We don't, we, don't know, we don't know anyone's uh, orientation or, or sexuality uh, things unless that comes up in the plot. Um, so it kind of took that chunk out of it. And I hadn't realized how automatically I do that how automatically I start looking for some kind of relationship.
1: Well, we're, we're definitely trained to do it by books. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason that we, we do that is because in book after book after book after book, we find that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've, I loved that about it. And I loved too. I and mean, I don't want to ruin anything for someone who reads it, but, I, but I, I want to say that I thought the way that it, the idea of um, how our identity is shaped and what it means to be a person. I feel like this, I feel like ancillary justice looked at that in in ways that were really interesting to me, in ways that I I hadn't necessarily thought about before.
0: Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is something that science fiction can do well. It doesn't always do it well, but I think that in some ways, science fiction has an advantage to look at some of these questions in really interesting ways. And while it's doing that, while it's doing interesting things about identity and gender and all that kind of stuff, it's also this, you know, action-packed, hardcore science fiction kind of adventure, too. Uh, It's a good book. I think it's a good book. Do you like it? Did you think it's a good book?
1: I did. Can I say what I thought was the best thing about it, but you'll laugh at me? Sure. Okay, so my – my thing that I hate about a lot of science fiction books, and, and a lot of actually YA novels also lately, mm. is that you go through this whole book and there's no ending, right? They keep yeah. setting you up for this dramatic thing, and then they just right. leave you hanging on the edge of a cliff. This book does not do that, and I loved it. Um, it definitely leaves the door open for more stories about Breck, who's the, who's the main character. Did you say Breck? I say Breck yes okay let's go with that I'm just making it up Um, but it leaves the door open for more stories about Breck and her world Mm -hmm. but the actual plot that the book is about gets wrapped up I mean of course like everything isn't perfectly finished but the story is resolved in a way that feels satisfying and that is not always something that I find in science fiction books and it's something that really grates on my nerves because why would I read your next book if you didn't satisfy me with the first one (laughs) right
0: i think and and this is the first book of a trilogy and yes. i went on and i read the whole trilogy i 100% agree with you i feel like it it wraps up at the end and you're satisfied and you can walk away from it there if that's what you want to do um, in the later books this is on kind of a grand scale introducing inducing you to this giant universe and the world and it does it is very science fictiony science fiction by which i mean you start out and you don't know where you are and there's different vocabulary being used and you have to spend some t- energy at the beginning kind of figuring out your place in the world and what's happening and what these various things are. And I know for some, some of my friends who aren't uh, big science fiction fans, that's something that gets on their nerves and I understand that. Well, it um,
1: doesn't always pay off. You feel like you invest yes. this time and energy and it doesn't pay off. I I I venture to say, I think in ancillary justice, it pays off. I felt like Mm. that orientation that I had to do at the beginning ended up being totally worth it. I was glad I read the book
0: yeah and for me, since I'm a long term science fiction fan, that's just part of the fun is kind of that puzzle at the beginning, although it is irritating sometimes. Um, but anyway, it's the first book of a trilogy. this one kind of sets this giant stage. The other two books kind of bring the action in they're on smaller stages uh, it's a it's a good it's a good series. I enjoyed it all the way through and just last week she published Provenance, which is a new book set. Not about the same character, but set in the same universe. So I'm excited to put that on hold at the library. <laughs> so
1: I'm, I'm curious because you love science fiction. You're like I a do, hardcore I science do. fiction
0: I do. I'm nerd. a nerd. The best yeah, yeah. part
1: of Suzanne's year so far has been that her youngest son got really <gasps> excited about Isaac Asimov.
0: <laughs> I made all of my kids read iRobot. And he's the only one that came back and said, can I read more Isaac Asimov? And I was like, yes. And you are my favorite child. <laughs> And I bequeath all my worldly effects to you. (laughs) And
1: fair enough. But so how does this compare to like classic science fiction? Do you think it's as good as the classics you grew up loving?
0: Well, the classics I grew up loving, if we're talking like Asimov and Heinlein and all that kind of stuff, um, they're very much, so the great thing about science fiction is it's a literature of ideas, right? There's some really neat ideas. Asimov in his robot stories and iRobot and that kind of thing the way I look at it now is he takes some really, really interesting ideas and he dramatize, you know, he dramatizes them in really compelling, engaging ways. Now, what's often lacking in the science fiction um, is is characterization, a really strong characterization. Um, the plots are usually kind of single-minded, and you know, ninety-five percent of what I read growing up was written by straight white men and that's reflected in the stories very much so what i have been so like a book like ancillary justice it is it does feel very hard science fictiony very hard like um you know i've built this entire galactic empire and i have to tell you all about all the different pieces and how it all works together so that felt very familiar the way it plays with gender the way it pays with diversity uh the way it plays with uh religion um and i i feel like there's solid characterization going on i just feel like it's a better written book overall mm-hmm. and i'm finding that throughout there are such you know nk Jemison is amazing there are there are so many great uh authors female authors people of color, both sometimes, you know, that the the books are so good. And I was talking to my son about it. You know, the books that I grew up with, uh, every galactic empire is based on the Roman Empire, right? Everyone goes back to the Romans or the Greeks or something in these Eurocentric science fiction novels that I, that I read growing up. So now I'm reading books that are, are using – uh, you know, classical ancient history, or, or using myths and folk tales, but they're not using Eurocentric ones. They're they're using African um, culture, or they're using Asian imperial stories, or something. So there's this this breath of fresh air, and uh, new ideas, and just really really exciting things going on in science fiction right now. I kind of went on and on, but I, I do think it's super cool.
1: No, I love that, and. I, I don't, usually I would not try to promo the magazine and the podcast, but <laughs> hey, Suzanne did write an awesome column about the new world of science fiction for the summer issue of homeschool life. Yeah. And I actually stole one of the books that she recommended and we're using it with our African world history chunk, um, Witch book, obviously. I
0: was so excited. I saw that on the the website that you guys were reading it. Um, thumbs up so far? What do you think? Do you guys like it?
1: Um so I haven't started it yet. My daughter started it and she loves it. So okay. I think that's even better than me saying that I like it so far. I don't Good. know where my my time is going.
0: <laughs> I just don't know either. It's a mystery. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm trying to keep up with all this diverse science fiction and also my dead white guys in Concord, Massachusetts. So
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. It's an interesting back and forth. Hey, so what do you think we should read next time?
1: Ooh, okay. Well, <laughs> you recommended... A book, and it's been, I guess it's been like a month or two now. But was it called the Rabbit Back Literature Society?
0: It was called Reminds the me Rabbit...
1: why I was so excited about it because when when I read your little <laughs> blurb about it, I was like, I have to go read this now. Yeah. And I didn't, so
0: it is okay. So, first of all, it's it's translated. It's um it's written by, oh gosh, Posse Yaskalan. Ooh. And I am forgetting just at the moment what nationality. I'm going to say like Scandinavian, like up there. Um, and it is the story. There is. So the premise is that there's this town and in this town there lives a writer that is world famous for her um, for her children's novels. Like think J.K. Rowling. But if she would wrote The Moomins. OK. Right. And wow, um,
1: now I want J.K. Rowling write the movements. Sorry. I know
0: the movements are awesome. Everybody should go read the movements. Too few people know about the movements. Um so so what she did years and years ago was she she tapped different children in this town and they became part of this this literature society. They were all supposed to become great writers. So they they, she, they all became, joined in this club, and they learned to write together as they were children. And now those people have grown up, and there is a whole bunch of mystery and stuff going on. So it's kind of like Donna Tart's, like maybe, I don't know, The Secret History. It's got some of that mixed with, oh, one of the twin peaks, because there's some weirdness going on. There's not really magical real, realism, but it's just like real weirdness going on. And um, then Mixed with the movements.
1: Okay. So, we are I mean, we're reading this, right? Like, there's no yes. way that we cannot read yes. this for the podcast.
0: <laughs> yes. It's like it is very strange. The dream book. And awesome. And I'm trying to read more works in translation um, that have been translated because I can't read anything other than English because I'm monolingual.
1: So will but, you um, be super, will, will you be, like, intimidatingly smart about it since you're reading it for the second time and it's my first time?
0: I will do my best not to be intimidatingly smart about it just because I care about you so much.
1: You're so good to me,
0: Susan. (laughs) I I try. So that's the plan.
1: The Rabbit Back Literature Society.
0: Yes, and, and read the it with author.
1: Because I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can recommit to a regular podcast schedule and be back in a couple of weeks to talk about it. So
0: we absolutely mean well. Yes, yes,
1: we do. But, <laughs> we, but, but we would be even intentions. more motivated if there were lots of excited people also reading the Rabbitback Literature Society That's and wanting right. to talk about it with us.
0: And maybe even leaving the occasional review on iTunes. I know it's a hassle, but you know.
1: Oh my gosh! Now we have become like my mother-in-law, where we're like. <laughs>
0: I know it's a lot to
1: ask but <laughs> if you can just... right. but yes Th-
0: that means we should probably stop. It's
1: probably know? time to wrap it up. Once we hit the mother-in-law point, yes. It's time to say goodbye. So, but we did it, yay. Thanks yay. for joining us for the podcast with Suzanne and Amy brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. Fingers crossed, we'll be back in a fortnight ish with more conversation about the places where home, school, and life intersect. See you then. Bye.